thumbs going down over there. with some intros and um all right we have arvin now as well so let's let's hop in uh we'll bring let's bring arvin up um thanks everybody who's coming together today this is the second space in a weekly series we've launched called adopting bitcoin a conversation with galloy uh we're here to hold discussions with thoughtful leaders about how to better enable communities and institutions to use bitcoin as money which is our mission at galloy so uh really excited to have Stephen delorme here today uh sort of to, to lead and kind of center this discussion. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but um, he's a UX designer working on the Bitcoin design guide. And, and we met down in El Salvador. Um, and for anybody that has not yet seen his blog, he, you know, he traveled around and used, uh, tried paying in Bitcoin at, at many different places during his time down at the conference. Um, and so really wanted to center this conversation around that. Um, and then, um, you know, we'll spend about maybe the first 30 minutes um, recounting his experience, identifying some of the challenges, some of the opportunities that he that he uh, presented, and then um, we'll we'll bring some people up for questions and comments after that. So um, we also have Arvin, uh, who's an engineer at Galloy, uh, and Chris Hunter, our co-founder and uh, adopt, uh, adopting Bitcoin co-host. And so uh, we may bring a couple other people up here as well um, over the time. And then, as I mentioned to the people who were on early, uh, missing Kamal here. It looks like he's a listener today. He had a baby at Block Height 7, uh, 7-11-963, about 44 hours ago. So congratulations to Kamal, who was instrumental in uh, in running, uh, putting on the Adopting Bitcoin conference. So, um, you know, cheers to your family. Uh, so without further ado, we'd love to hop in, do some brief intros. Um, Stephen, I'll, I'll kick it off to you and, and uh, let you introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Stephen DeLorme. Uh, yeah, uh, as he said, I'm a UX designer uh, working on the uh, uh, Bitcoin design project with a lot of other great people. Uh, so you've got some other Bitcoin design people in the audience like Christoph and maybe some others uh, farther down that I'm not seeing. Um, but yeah, I have a Square Crypto grant, or I guess it's called a Spiral grant now, um, to to work on this stuff. And um, uh, you know, I just uh, got back from El Salvador uh, last week, and uh, yeah, excited to uh, share share what I learned there. To Arvin. Hey. Um, okay. Yeah. So my name's Arvin. I'm a backend engineer at uh, Deloitte. Uh, very interested in how we can improve the Lightning payment and. Uh, I guess, usage experience. Um, so yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. So um, Stephen, I mentioned this sort of with the intro, but uh, you know, y- you traveled around quite a bit and chronicled your experience, um, which kind of prompted today the topic of today's conversation. 
Um, so before we get into any specifics, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love it if you'd count your experience a little bit, what stuck out to you? Um, and, and, you know, what were some of your key takeaways after spending some time, uh, you know, trying to spend Bitcoin down in El Salvador? Yeah, well, first off, I just want to go ahead and say that, like, I feel, uh, thank you for having me up here. And I feel like I should just go ahead and point out the like, I mean, the work that Galoy and like Bitcoin Beach Project and all that's doing is like, really wonderful. So this is really just like my perspective as like kind of a, a newcomer uh, to this world of, you know, using Bitcoin as, as money in El Salvador. And that's kind of what I was trying. That's kind of why I, I wrote the blog, uh, because I wanted to just give it from the perspective of someone who like is is kind of someone who knows Bitcoin, but is kind of like learning how to use it as money in everyday life um, as they go. And yeah, I mean, the situation uh, I, I feel on the ground is uh, kind of complicated. It's, um, you know, there there's a lot of there there's positives and negatives. I mean, on the good on the the, the, the fantastic side of this is that, yeah, people people are actually using it and you see people um, you see people there using it like, um, uh, you know, big businesses like, you know, that are run by large corporations. And then you also see like, you know, small street food vendors, um, you know, uh, using it as well. So it's like it's money that's being used by everybody, um, which is is the promise of this. Um, you know, there's also there's also like kind of fear and uncertainty. And because because because. Let me back up. Like, there's fear and uncertainty because it's really hard to kind of divorce it from like politics and the political situation um, in the country. I think, and uh, so you know, and also memories that that people have of, of the past. And so, um, you know, just like in the in this social space, there's just um, there there's a, a lot of conflicting feelings about it. I think, but. My, my my overall impression is uh, yeah that it's 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 going very well. I think as Bitcoiners we have a, a lot of work to do, but it's working. Awesome. Um, yeah. No. I, I. You know. I think that that that's one of the takeaways. You know, Nicholas, um, our our other co-founder alongside Hunter, you know, in his opening remarks at adopting Bitcoin you know, made a, a sort of a, a comment about the inspiration to hold the conference being that um, it's really exciting, um, but there's there's a lot of work to do, right? It's education. It is, you know, user experience. It is doing, um, Stephen, what you did, which is is to, you know, document the experience and identify friction points. Um, and so uh, could you speak a little bit about the, um, you know, some of the experiences that you had, like, you know, what wallets were you using and, and what types of things were you trying to, to buy with Bitcoin? Yeah, so the, the wallet that I used uh, primarily was uh, Zeus and um, and that was connected to a, uh, for, for those who aren't familiar with the wallet, it, it lets you connect to a full a full lightning node. So I had a Raspberry Pi with Umbral on it running uh, my home in the USA. And I was using that primarily, like, I don't think that in the future, um, everyone in the world is going to run their own full node. I, I don't, maybe, but I don't think it's really likely. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I kind of use that as my go-to wallet just because I, I like to, um, as a designer, I need to learn as much about Lightning as I can. And so running a node is a good way of doing that. So Seuss was kind of my go-to, um, but I also used um, Moon, um, uh, tried out stuff like uh, Strike, uh, Bitcoin Beach Wallet, all of that. Um, I think you know. I think kind of wallets like Breeze, personally, that, that have the um, the, the kind of like try to run like a more lightweight node on the phone are, are probably. I think that those kinds of wallets are probably going to be 
like in the future, the, the default kind of configuration for a Lightning wallet, but we'll, we'll see kind of how, how things go. So I used a variety of different wallets. And I mean, I basically tried to spend with Bitcoin from my very first, you know, transaction in the country, like getting lunch right off the plane in the airport. I tried, that didn't work. Uh, the next transaction I encountered was, uh, you know, trying to basically pay my immigrations and customs fee out in the country. And uh, I was able to pay for that. Uh, with Bitcoin. Um, and I basically would just ask, you know, every, every, everywhere I go, you know, in, in my, my, my terrible beginner Spanish, you know, yo quiero pagar con Bitcoin or aceptas Bitcoin aquí. You know, I'd ask, as I ask these questions, you know, wherever I'd go and, uh, you know, it just kind of depend, depends on, on, on where you go. I mean, I'd get everything from coffee to lunch, dinner, paying for my lodgings, uh, pr pretty much everything. Um, you know, and, and just kind of the experience that you, you have, you know, varies depending on on where you go. I can keep talking more about that, but I wanted to kind of leave a point for you to, to you for you to jump back in. I Yeah, no, I, I, I'd love you to keep going. You, you know, yeah. some of the I think hearing a little bit about, yeah, the different experiences that you had are, are great. I mean, I think I think you setting the stage with some of you know your stories and then we can kind of dig into specifics or questions after that. Yeah. So it, it just like there's there's a lot of different kind of merchant, you know, devices and, you know, uh, merchant point of sale systems being used in the country. Um, you know, just like overall, just like to, to paint a broader picture, like the vibe is way different in San Salvador than it is in places like El Zante or even El Tunco. So like there, there's just different types of, of software being used in each place. So like, you know, I spent the first part of my trip in San Salvador and, you know, like the majority of the places you go into are probably going to be using Chivo, which for those that aren't aware is like the, the government kind of custodial wallet. Um, where you get your $30 worth of free Bitcoin. And there's a couple different, you know, versions of that. Some is some versions is like an app that you run on your phone. It's called the retail version. Then there's another one that's like a merchant device, which is like a little, you know, uh, thing that prints out a receipt and, and all of that. And then there's also like a browser-based version that a cashier can just like pull up on their, um, on their uh, you know, like if they already have an existing point of sale terminal with a web browser, they can just go to like the Chivo browser wallet and use it that way. And so like, depending on what you do, uh, the, the experience is going to be very different. Like my, my very first one was very rough, um, paying for my immigration fee because, um, they, they pulled out the Chivo merchant device. That's what I call it. This like little thing that prints out a receipt and, you know, um, tried an address for me. And, um, uh, you know, I realized uh, that, you know, it wasn't a lightning invoice, which I thought was interesting. It does not default to lightning. Um, and I think I ended up having, I was, I was, I ended up pulling out strike, I think, to pay it just because I was really nervous going through immigration with, you know, all, all this stuff going on. Um, but then, you know, other experiences have gone smooth. Starbucks, they use like Ibex Mercado there and uh, the it, it uses lightning by default. So um, I could take Zeus and just pay for my coffee um, with a lightning invoice and it works. Like that's the the, it's it's kind of weird when you think about it because when you read about lightning and just you know the protocol and how it works and it you know it starts to get pretty complicated and and just like you try to imagine the system scaling in your head and it, it just seems like you know i don't know it seems like a fantasy sometimes but then you go to el salvador and it's like actually working i have a raspberry pi in the usa that just you know allowed me to make a lightning payment in another country to another a lightning invoice in a starbucks so that works. Um, non-custodial Bitcoin uh, over Lightning works. 
Um, the, I guess, oh, sorry, are you going to say something? Yeah, I'll, I'll there. Um, you know, wanted to get any thoughts from Arvin. I know he's, so I think he's in El Zante at the moment. Um, and, and to see if he had any thoughts on that, um, sort of the uh, the fragmentation or the sort of variation of the, the merchant experience and what he's been seeing and trying to make uh, payments with Bitcoin. Hey, yeah, sure. So um, Steven's, Steven's accounts have actually been pretty accurate. He's done a lot, I guess, trial, like trials of different types of uh, experiences trying to pay across here. And I mean, like, so I've been here, this is probably my third or fourth week here. I'm actually at Point Break Cafe in, 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 in Zonte right now, so I'll be paying for whatever I have here with Bitcoin after. But um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see here like, the, the different um, approaches that merchants are taking to how they choose to they choose to accept um, Lightning. Um, you have, you, like Stephen mentioned, you have like the, um, I guess the more professional setup with Open Node and IBEX Mercado, um, which I've come across. Those work pretty flawlessly with any open, um, any non-custodial or you know open custodial wallet or anything like that. And then there's, uh, I guess there's more um, like so there's the personal wallets. Um, so you'd come across people who are sometimes using say their personal. Um, Paxful wallet, um, personal Bitcoin Beach wallets, personal Chivo wallets, and um, that's also been an interesting experience. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's that, like Steven's head, it's that lightning mostly works, but there are some caveats. And I think the caveats are mostly around how the different implementations choose to, um, I guess, work their trade-offs, um, what they're optimizing for, um, and the added on things that they try to accomplish. Um, so, for example, the reason somebody might want to use Strike or Chivo is because they want to accept Bitcoin but hold it stably um, in USD versus, say, for example, an open node on Ibex Mercado where they may want, um, I guess, want to optimize for um, being more flexible, being integrated into different interfaces differently. I think McDonald's has it at the kiosk and stuff. Um, and uh, like the Bitcoin Beach wallet, that's optimized for like smaller merchants who don't necessarily have um, the capacity to be able to do a full setup or maintain a full you know, set of infrastructure or anything like that. It's a simple open an app, um, put in your phone number and it's a custodial setup, but it works. Um, so I think it's been interesting to see that range of, I guess, range of options that people are doing and how they, how they work um, with people trying to pay. Um, so yeah. Right on. Um, Stephen, I, I think you, I could probably count this by looking into your, your blog, uh, your blog posts, but um, how, uh, how many, say, what percentage of transactions did, would you say, or at least requests when you asked if you could pay in Bitcoin, were you, were you actually successful in doing so? That, you know, I would say in San Salvador, that would be about 50 or 60 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, now in El Zante, it's like a hundred percent. So it just kind of, it kind of depends on where you go. Yeah. And then one thing that was interesting from the merchant angle that you, that you wrote about was this idea of a designated Bitcoiner, which I thought was such an interesting concept. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and, you know, how that might play into, you know, driving adoption within merchants? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I noticed this trend very early on. Um, like, I think I, I kind of had this figured out by my second day that like, um, you, you know, like I walked into a grocery store and I was, I was checking out and I asked if I could pay with Bitcoin when I was at the register. And, you know, uh, I was struggling to understand exactly what they were saying, but I realized that they were trying to point me to like the other end of the grocery store. And I, I realized like, oh no, they, they only accept Bitcoin at that point of sale terminal on the other end of the store. And they just rang up all my items. So, you know, I, of course, paid for that with like a credit card or something just because I didn't want to ask them to ring up all my items again. But then I started noticing everywhere I go, like you'd walk into Starbucks and they'd have two cash registers and one of a coin sign over them. And, um, you know, sometimes you'd walk into store if they have 10 cash registers, all, you know, uh, three of them would be Bitcoin cashers. So um, or, you know, some small business, there'd be like one person who knew how to use the Bitcoin wallet, which would be, you know, the, this one person who says to the phone with the Bitcoin wallet. And so it's like you kind of have to, you know, just in the present day, if you want to go travel in El Salvador and spend your Bitcoin, you kind of need to be just careful to announce your intentions like very early on. Um, you know, don't don't tell them you want to pay in Bitcoin like after they've already scanned in 10 items, like announce it before they start punching stuff into the register. And it's like, you know, look at your surroundings, look for the Bitcoin signs, stuff like that. I was just trying to speculate like why this might be. Um, you know, I think like part of it might be, I, I mean, one w one thing about it might be that, you know, just a simple like, you know, they're, they're just trying to be legally client. Like if a business doesn't necessarily care that much about accepting Bitcoin, like if they don't have incentive to, because like in San Salvador, a lot of people use credit cards from what I can see. So like if they don't have an incentive to accept Bitcoin, they might just have like one Bitcoin point of sale for the sake of being legally compliant. Um, another kind of thing, too, is that you have some like legacy point of sale systems. And it could be that some businesses are having trouble like integrating um the bitcoin payments with their existing you know it infrastructure so um you know that that could be you know part of it too and and then another thing too is like I, I have witnessed like several problems just with wallet compatibility and stuff like that where you know making payments is really slow because you try to make a bitcoin payment somewhere and you know you struggle to figure out what what's the right kind of qr code to use and maybe the internet connections weak and a payment that would have taken like you know um, you know, really quick, could, could have been really quick with a credit card or cash suddenly ends up taking like three or four minutes with Bitcoin. Uh, like no joke, like something like a lightning payment should be like, you know, should that, that payment should be like done in five seconds. But sometimes just because of the, the current incompatibility stuff, um, you just, you know, you spend like four minutes fiddling with stuff, trying to get it to work. And so I can see some businesses being like, you know, okay, it's okay. If you want a Bitcoin, just do it over there, you know, and like, we're going to have the, the slow moving Bitcoin line and then, you know, everyone else can use cash and credit cards. So, you know, I don't know for sure. Uh, th those are just some guesses uh, to kind of why, why that is the way it is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting of how fast it could be. And, and then you have like sort of the current state, which, uh, you know, of course, there's there's work to be done. I mean, one thing when I was in uh, El Zante, uh, I was tipping people. I was asking, hey, do you have Bitcoin Beach Wallet? And, and uh, you know, there was even somebody who just showed me on a piece of paper um, his username in Bitcoin Beach Wallet. And I and it was it was extremely fast. Um and so, you know, the and there was actually some street musicians, right? And with a QR code and I didn't have to interact with them. I could just just zip them some sats and it was extremely fast. But, you know, that that notion of the the merchant, which is, a, you know, oftentimes an employee of a of a uh, who is not familiar uh, yet with Bitcoin and trying to navigate, I think, you know, probably 
two things, right? The education themselves, but then also the the technical infrastructure. Uh, definitely a little bit of a hill to climb. I uh, just wanted to jump in really quickly on um, Stephen's point. Um, there was one um, scenario we had as, as well at a meetup, I think, um, with Steve, Stephen and I were there, um, where the QR code scanning can be an issue. And I know he had some insights on like, um, some wallets using some libraries versus other wallets and how that impacts UX. Um, that might be an interesting point to bring up as well. Oh, yeah, sure. The um, Yeah, I mean, so, you know, uh, I was on iOS, but, um, you know, Ar Arvin was on uh, Android and, uh, you know, there was some issue, like, w you know, we had s this issue at a, at a bar trying to, you know, pay off our tabs. And uh, it, it was it was like, uh, you know, which wallet exactly the bar is using. It might have been, I, I think it was Ibex Mercado. It might have been a different one. But the point is. Yeah, was, Ibex, yeah. Yeah, it was working. It was working beautifully with, with my phone. And then when Arvin was trying to scan it, it was like, it just like he could not scan the invoice. And it, it, it was, it took a long time. And then somebody else who was there with us had an Android phone. And it was the same thing, like multiple wallets. It was like Moon was one of them. Um, I can't remember the other one. It might've been Blixter Phoenix, but like multiple different wallets on these Android phones could not scan the lightning QR codes. And, you know, you know, turned into a big, you know, designers and engineers trying to figure out the problem over multiple evenings. And I mean, part of it is that light, like lightning invoices are just incredibly dense. So the details, you know, the, the, unless you're using L and URL, if it's a straight lightning invoice, the, the, the QR code is just so detailed. Um, and the camera, we noticed that if we took the Android phone with some of these wallets and we like tried to move the camera closer and farther away from the invoice, basically the camera was not automatically focusing. So you expect on your smartphone that you can tap something on the phone and it'll automatically refocus. Um, or like if you hold it up to a QR code and it's out of focus, most of the time you don't even need to tap it. The phone just automatically knows to readjust the focus on the lens. But on these particular uh, Andro uh, Android wallets, uh, the camera would not focus. And so you basically have to move the light, the phone, uh, if you understand about focal length, you know, it just kind of when you have a fixed focal length on a camera, you just you have to be at a certain distance to, to get your subject in focus. And so we just have to like back the camera up or move it closer until the QR code just happens to fall into focus and then it could read it. And uh, I've heard, I don't know, maybe some engineers, if there's anybody in the audience who knows more about this could correct me on this. But I've I've heard that there are some issues with um like uh, Google with like uh, Android camera libraries, that something to the effect of like the, the camera, the stock camera library that you would use to interact with the camera on Android is like proprietary or, you know, the, the, the code is an open source. And so like, if you want auditability and full open source in a bullet, then you have to use an open source camera library. And sometimes these libraries aren't able to manipulate the camera as well. Um, I might be, I might be misunderstanding that point though. So, you know, I'm, ready to be corrected on that. But I definitely want to explore the, these Android issues some more and see if we can open up some issues, reproducible issues on GitHub for these, these issues. Yeah, and I think uh, what's, uh, just really, what's interesting too is that the payment flow I ended up um, coming up with after these issues was to open my Android camera, scan the QR code, which would scan very quickly and then copy the invoice and paste it into the um, payment app and pay. So I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to do with these software and these, um, some of these wallets. Um, yeah, that's um, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because things like that that are 
quite nuanced, but but so important that right that, that are that are producing moments of friction. Like you know, you listen to you know Mike Peterson about stories getting the the Bitcoin Beach community on board, and and they were just obsessed about removing friction right from the experience. And um, you, you know, and even even the you know the the feature of allowing customers to to set the invoice amount right rather than making the merchant like stop what they're doing you know, was one of those insights to try and reduce the friction. So, um, you know, thank you to the people, to everybody who who has been down there just testing and trying out wallets, documenting and sharing. Um, yeah, I shared a, um, a, a, um, a post, uh, took a video of Jorge explaining what um, uh, Jamie uh, Garcia also uh, had a thread about. I see him in here. Um, which was, you know, showing people how to how to create a lightning invoice in Chivo, which is a few clicks, a few clicks away. Right. And so, um, yeah, there's just so many, uh, so many, so many things, so many bugs to squash or, or uh, you know, uh, sort of moments of friction to remove. So that's that's really why we're here. Um, so thank you for that. I, um, there's a couple of the topics, but I see we have a speaker um, up here. Uh, Dolce, did, did you want to uh, add a comment or have a question? Mm. Hello, can you hear me? Just checking. Yes. Yeah, um, I just want to share also my experience and make two important points. Um, I think uh, we need to realize like we only were in San Benito in El Salvador, like it's uh, like, the, like the safest, beautiful area of Salvador. But one day I took a, I took a trip to outside El Salvador and sometimes you can see things different. Uh, I want to share one of my experiences with people uh, don't accept Bitcoin and say, hey, uh, actually, what I, do, what I did in Salvador is first ask, did you accept Bitcoin? If they say yes, I, no problem, you just order whatever you want to order. But if they say no, I always ask why. And sometimes they say no, no. And then finally, you, you discover different roots or cash roots of why they don't want to use Bitcoin first, like, of course, politi politician point of view, um, politics point of view. The other is like, they don't know how to use the, the wallet. Second, they don't know how to download an app in the wallet that happened with one of my uh, drivers. And what I did is I tip everyone, like when they don't want to accept, I help them to do an app uh, or a wallet. Uh, and then tip them is what uh, Francisco Negrunch and I, we did like tip every, everyone, like $1 or something. Uh, but one, the story that I want to share is like, I went outside San Benito, the, the area we were in, in the conference. And then I bought pupusas, the best pupusas I, <laughs> I buy, I bought in the street. It was tres pupusas or three, three pupusas per a dollar. And then when I tried to pay, I say, hey, do you accept Bitcoin? And they say, no. And they say, why not? No, no. And then it's like, okay, let me pay you the same amount of money that, I, that is like, it was like $3, but in, in tip, because they, it was on the street, I'm going to post a photo. Uh, and the girl say, oh, we don't have a phone. Thank you. And I feel like we have a partial view of El Salvador yet, because we've been in these nice, beautiful places like, uh, El Sante is like a Bitcoin line for us because we can pay uh, with lining and everything, but still there is a lot of work to do in terms of education. And this is what I love. Um, I, I want to say that what I love about the, the Bitcoin wallet, uh, wallet beach uh, is uh, 
it's amazing how you did the education part and how you uh, created this storytelling where people can learn about Bitcoin and get some stats, uh, Satoshis. Uh, that that's uh, that is wonderful. I just want to say that I really like the wallet. It, it, I couldn't have it have it myself. I guess you need a Salvadorian phone. But that was my experience. Like uh, we have a partial view still of what is happening in Salvador because we've been in only few places. Uh, that that was my my experience, and I know there is some Salvadorians here that maybe like Darwin is Salvadorian and he he knows a lot too. Thank you. Thank you for the comments, and I, I totally agree. There's many, uh, there's many different perspectives that we need to take into account, um, and and so um, you know that's definitely why we're we're coming together today. And I think Stephen's perspective a, a good one from to your points uh, some of the areas, and so really uh, interested to to learn about other perspectives and identify some of those friction points. Um, to your point, education being a, a huge one. So thank you for those comments. Um, Stephen, uh, one other thing that, that you wrote about that I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about is the, um, your experience with the ATMs. Could you speak a little bit about, you know, what you tried, what worked? Yeah, sure. I could speak about the ATMs and yeah, thank, thank you for those comments, Dolce, uh, that, that you're, I, I agree with you. That's, um, you, you go outside of San Benito, but the experience is very different in other neighborhoods. Um. And, and I have a, a point about that I want to I circle back to later, just about like smartphone usage. I have some questions um, in general, but about the Chivo ATMs, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I found one. I, I actually didn't know. Apparently, there's some in my city I could have been using this whole time, but I, I ended up uh, trying one in San Salvador, and it was, uh, I, th I thought it was overall a very like smooth experience. And at least you know, what people who live in San Salvador told me was that um, they felt that the ATMs were like a really important part of people seeing Bitcoin as money because just the idea that um, if you can take your cash and go get Bitcoin at an ATM or you can take your Bitcoin to an ATM and get cash from it, that that helps um, with the idea that it's money. Um, so that, that the ATMs uh, actually play a, a very important role, I think. Um, you know, I went there and overall my experience was good. I kind of that, you know, you punch in your phone number, all of that go through, you know, if you want to, if you want to buy Bitcoin, you insert cash and then you, you know, generate a wallet address on your phone and scan it and all of that. Um, it's, it's probably, you know, fairly standard stuff for anyone who's used a Bitcoin ATM before. I didn't know that I needed to KY to, um, I didn't know that I needed to give up my passport until the end of the transaction until um, I, I had already um, kind of left the ATM. Basically what it was is, uh, the, the kind of hiccups I ran into was I set a really low transaction fee on my um, uh, on my phone at one point. OK, so so let me back up a little bit. I ran into two problems. One, I tried to buy Bitcoin with cash and they never sent it to my wallet address. They just you know printed out a receipt with my Bitcoin address on the piece of paper saying, you know, you'll get it eventually. And uh, I, uh, I I noticed that someone else left their receipt in the machine, which I thought was interesting. Um, and so I, I, I had this, it made me start to wonder if people are leaving their receipts and machines. Um, you know, you see this all the time at gas stations and stuff too, but Bitcoin addresses are being printed. That seems like a slight security risk. So it might be nicer if that's skated uh, in some way, but I never actually got my Bitcoin and I checked the mempool explorer and all that. And I could never, you know, see 
the Bitcoin come to my address and I had to get on tele and get on support with them. And they wanted to see my passport and all of that. And I, um, I, I wasn't going to send my passport over telegram, but, um, you know, I, I conceivably I would have gotten my Bitcoin had I had a, a Salvadoran phone number. Um, but, uh, the, the other, the other kind of interesting, you know, one I thought was, was trying to get cash for Bitcoin and, you know, you basically you send your Bitcoin to to the you know to a, a Bitcoin address that the ATM provides you with, and um, I, I set a really low transaction fee just because I wanted to see what would happen if like you know the ATM had to wait you know for two hours to for my transaction to clear the mempool, and um, I never I never got my cash. It printed out a little receipt for me, and uh, you know basically told me. Uh, you know, that, you know, it gave me a redemption code and it was like, you need to come back later. Actually, didn't even tell me that. It just gave me a redemption code and kind of like put the pieces together in my mind because, because my transaction hasn't been included in a block. That means that I have to wait for it to be included in a block. And then I have to come back once it's been included in a block with this redemption code, punch in the number, and then it'll give me my cash. And I thought that was a little interesting just because I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I did set a low transaction fee, but I'm just worried that like that that could happen even on like a I don't know. I mean, sometimes phone like Bitcoin uh, wallets will give you choices like do you want a low priority or a high priority? And if someone's trying to save money, um, you know, which they they could they could totally be trying to do, then their transaction could get stuck in the mempool like mine did. And um, I, I'm not entirely sure what I'm getting as I don't know how a new user understands they're supposed to come back and type in that redemption code like there's nothing to indicate like oh you know your your bitcoin withdrawal so i thought that that was i'm not sure if other people have had maybe different experiences with chibo atms but i mean overall i thought that that, that the experience was very good there's just some kind of like minor hiccups at the end at the end of the flow that's interesting and i, I mean this conversation is making me think that if if we're not already we need to be documenting these in a way that's that's shareable for people to who are working on you know across the, the ecosystem to to pick up and tackle i know that that's a lot of what you're doing with uh bitcoin design so um yeah there's just a lot of good ones uh jamie uh, i see you get, I jumped up on stage did you have a question or a thought yeah uh thanks for hosting the space and inviting me up uh yeah so um totally align with uh, a lot of the things that are being shared. Just wanted to sort of uh, point out that uh, for Bitcoin Beach Wallet, um, when I first downloaded it and, uh, and registered for it, I did it with a Canadian phone number. So, um, you know, I, I just wanted to confirm that that it is available internationally because I, I did not have any problems and I was using it from Canada, actually. And so... I uh, just wanted to confirm that because I know that Dulce said that uh, she, she needed a, um, a Salvadorian phone number, but uh, because I was able to to download it with uh, a Canadian phone number and it worked just fine. Um, just wanted to confirm that. And then my second question, or uh, sorry, my second comment would be, especially if you're communicating with Chivo or mentioning Chivo, online sometimes um, that triggers some scam bots algorithms and then they will tell you that they are chibo support to let them to to go on their telegram link and they will um, help you out uh, these people are not to be trusted 
you have to go straight to the source into the inbox of the Chivo wallet uh, of the actual Chivo wallet uh, on on their website or um, or the um, uh, or Twitter to actually talk to those folks because the telegrams uh, links that they're sharing through social media either Facebook or Twitter or others they are basically scam so do not give them anything and just know that when you write anything to do with Chivo either their their handle or the word Chivo those algorithms pick that up and they automatically um, um, you know send you a message so what I've been doing is I actually I've been track it <laughs> by using the upside down exclamation mark and um, or inverted exclamation mark and then uh, that seems to to go through so just a little hack for you guys so yeah thanks guys thank yeah. you I appreciate you bringing up the scam thing yeah I I noticed like when I did a blog post and I mentioned like Chivo ATM was in the title of my blog post and I instantly got like a tweet from like one of these fake Chivo support bots. And I, I took a look at them and they had only been, they had been on, they had been on Twitter since like 2016. I was like, Oh man, nothing seems shady about a Chivo support account that's existed since 2016. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're all over the place. I pretty, I'm, I'm 99% 0.9% confident that the telegram bot, uh, one I was speaking to is legit because um, they actually print out like a URL on the receipt when you, um, you, uh, you go to the ATM. And so the receipt actually has like a web address on there that you go to for support. And then if you go to that website, it'll give you like a WhatsApp and a telegram bot that you're supposed to um, communicate with. So I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that the, the telegram one I, I was speaking with was a legit support channel, but nonetheless, I wasn't comfortable giving them uh, sensitive information. Good point on the on that. I've seen those scams uh, popping up everywhere. So yeah, something to definitely keep people aware of. I like the hack, Jamie. Uh, Felix, uh, I see you hopped up. What uh, questions, comments? What are you thinking? Hey, thanks for hi, hey all, and thanks for hosting the space. I just wanted to chime in. I've I've just come nine now, but like I had another experience yesterday where I went to the supermarket here, and again, uh, the it was an on-chain payment, and I'm thinking like i think really on should die it's like such a terrible user experience if you have to wait for confirmation nobody understands that you can't explain this to people but it's interesting though that before we did the payment the um supermarket clerk actually told that we might have to wait for 30 to 35 minutes if we if you want to pay with bitcoin um i looked at the pictures i took from the screen today and i saw that it was like a web ui and it also had like a lightning option but they, by default, it was like the on-chain stuff. So I might, I might be inclined to go back today and test if it's possible to switch that to the Lightning version and see if that works much, much better. But yeah, for anything time sensitive, I think in the future we should just not bother with on-chain payments because the the amounts always pretty small anyway. And when once the fees are gonna go up, hopefully in the future for on-chain payments, Lightning will be the default for anything that that's uh, these kind of size of payments. Um, I, I'm sorry if I missed this. What um, was the merchant using Chivo or, or do you know what they were using to accept? Yes, it was Chivo, but it was uh, the new, I mean, we've seen many breeds of Chivo here, right? There's a, the web the personal Chivo wallet, you have the POS system, and then you have the tablet version. 
And this was another breed I haven't accounted before, uh, which was like a web UI thing. And they had to like alt tap in, in their IBM computer uh, cashier system. And I, I, it was very interesting because uh, there was one guy who kind of knew what was up, but our cashier, uh, she didn't know what was going on. And, but he explained it to her and I was like listening in to like see how they are like being uh, uh, on the fly, basically how uh, you would in the future uh, help a customer who wants to pay with Bitcoin. Um, Jeff later, CPFP, the transaction, because for some reason, the mempool was suddenly 50 megabytes deep and it would have probably taken a couple hours, if not a day, to, to clear. Um, we CPFP'd it and then a, uh, but, but we did, were able to leave the supermarket even before confirmation because uh, the guy went in the back office and then I think he called like the Chivo stuff. I'm not entirely sure, but eventually we were able to leave the supermarket before we had a confirmation. Um, but yeah, uh, was later I, I took some pictures and I analyzed the pictures and I saw in the, in the web UI thing that there is a lightning option, but uh, they didn't know maybe it was there or you can click it. And I'm going to test that today. Uh, this was at the super sectors, like one of the biggest uh, supermarket chains here. So if you test that out in the future, uh, definitely try to choose lightning stuff. Yeah, that's great. I'd love uh, if you'd share your your photos and and if you I don't know if you plan to kind of write write it up in any way, but would love to uh, to sort of <laughs> to a just learn uh, you know what you're seeing and then and then b help help other people you know help help pass that people so they can see. Um, it sounds, you know, it sounds like that was another case of the designated Bitcoiner uh, that that Stephen was talking about. Uh, you know, somebody at the that kind of understands what's going on or is helping people uh, process the transactions. But um, you know, I I think for especially for the folks on this uh, on this spaces, you know, coming together like this and and sharing experiences and documenting them. And, um, you know, hopefully we can uh, we can produce some resources and, and you know get that into the community um, to to help people because it sounds like you know per per your your comment about the lightning the button of lightning it's like some of these systems may actually enable lightning invoices um, they just don't know uh, where to click and 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 where to find it. Thanks very much. Just a very quick disclaimer: um, I've heard terrible news about the tablet version of Chivo. And Lightning just does not arrive there at all. Um, so, but I've heard from some people who have like had the web version and they had like a pristine experience with Lightning, but I haven't had that yet because I didn't I didn't see it only later. So if you if you do have the tablet version, don't try to use Lightning there because it's definitely not going to work. But for the web version, it might. I'm going to test out today or tomorrow. Yeah, and also that I lost two payments yesterday and today to the tablet version. <laughs> it just never shows up. That's interesting to hear. I thought I, I, um, I, I assumed this time that the people uh, using the tablet version were using the the web version just on the tablet. But I was wrong on that apparently. But no, the web version works very well, at least in my experience. The 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 personal retail one you hold on your phone and the uh, that that one is incredibly slow at receiving Lightning payments, unpredictably so. Sometimes it you know takes thirty seconds, and sometimes it takes you know, an hour and the, the payment shows up. The, the thing that's creepy about it is that the payment shows up completed on your phone because 
you know, as many of us know, lightning payments are atomic, they succeed or fail. So it shows up completed on your phone and then the person just doesn't see it on, on their end. And that's the scare that th those are the kinds of user experiences that I just, I find to be really scary because that's like, you know, people see this kind of stuff. They're, they're probably telling stories like, yeah, this guy you know, tried to pay me in Bitcoin and it like ate his Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? That's that's the kind of stuff we yeah. really want. Yeah, it's really scary if you just you don't know how you can reach achieve or support. But this I think really just happens to foreigners because uh, if if the people here pay with Chivo, they always never use Lightning or Bitcoin. It's just like an internal database transaction. So there's that that these hiccups only right. only tourists will. Uh, but yeah, it's early days. Uh, hopefully, it gets better. Um, it's better than I expected, to be honest. Uh, especially. If you have like this experience at McDonald's here with open node and the terminals, it's just absolutely mind blowing. Like it, it just works. I think it's even faster if somebody would like pay with a credit card. Um, I, 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 I will try to make a video with like somebody racing uh, to, to buy a cheeseburger uh, on two different terminals, one with a credit card and one with lighting and see which one comes up faster. I like it. <laughs> Payment races. Uh, um, yes. Great. I know. I see. I do see Darwin there. Uh, if you want to hop up, feel free to request. I know LJ uh, recommended uh, you. You know you as as somebody who who might have some insight um, to the space. And in the meantime, um, Stephen, one of the things you mentioned on, uh, previously was the the notion of hiding wallet balances. And I just thought that your kind of your observations were, were really interesting. There, could you? I would love it if you'd share with the the people in the space, like how you're thinking about wallet balances and whether they're hidden or they're shared in the, uh, in, in the sort of the wallet UI. Yeah. So after like, uh, you know, two days of making uh, Bitcoin payments in El Salvador, I, I, I just, I suddenly it dawned on me that like hiding wallet balances needs to be the default of, you know, pretty much any Bitcoin wallet, at least any Bitcoin wallet for daily spending. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's like, Having, in, you know, to, to explain what I'm talking about, you know, the, the default kind of behavior we've come to expect is that any Bitcoin wallet you download, you open it up on your phone and it, um, you know, it shows you how much Bitcoin you have. Okay, makes sense. Um, and, that, and that's cool when you're just talking about Bitcoin with your friends and you're trying to explain to someone, like, you see, I open up the app and it shows me how much Bitcoin I have. Okay, that, that's fine when you're just hodling Bitcoin, but then you actually are spending it in your daily life and you feel different because it's like, you know, um, maybe you have a lot of Bitcoin in your wallet and you don't want people seeing that over your shoulder. Or maybe you have a little bit of Bitcoin. Maybe you only have like a thousand sats in the wallet, but somebody sees it from far away and it looks like a thousand dollars, right? And, um, you know, I, th there's just many different ways that that can go. So it's a kind of a security risk. And it, it's a security risk because if we think that this Bitcoin is the best money, then, you know, you're going to get to a point where people are going to, you know, try and take your Bitcoin instead of your cash one day. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a privacy thing too. You don't want people peeping over your shoulder and seeing like this full transaction history of all, all your, your past five payments if they, you know, are standing next to you in line for coffee. And uh, so I just think we need to just kind of re rethink what that looks like. And there's been a lot of, you know, talk about it in the design community, like tap to reveal buttons, things like that, or going into the settings for things. And these are all good ideas. I'm, I'm honestly kind of drifting towards like a more radical approach now where the the home home screen doesn't even you know show your uh show your balance there's like it's like on a separate screen called like a you know show balance or check balance or something like that and the whole thing is just dedicated to like sending and receiving um 
because and especially if you want to like make that user interaction quicker if people are going to be like whipping out their phone and paying for coffee and stuff um you just you want that interaction to be quick so it kind of kills two birds with one stones but yeah if we're, if we're treating bitcoin like the best money we need to also think it think about from a security and privacy perspective totally um yeah i really liked that point and and it made me it made me kind of rethink like you know we, we don't we don't take our, our banking app out of our pocket every time we make a transaction and, and reveal our balance, right? Like that, that's not a natural behavior. We have like sort of abstractions like a credit card or something like that. And so I thought that was a really interesting point around the UX. Um, ben, welcome to the stage. I saw you had a great recap of adopting Bitcoin. So uh, thanks for that. And uh, any thoughts or questions, Jeff? Yeah, thanks very much. I imagine around um, the use of QR codes in El Zonte, um, what I noticed is they would have a QR code with the lightning symbol, but actually it wasn't a lightning invoice. It was actually to, taking you to a separate website. Now, I don't know if it was my roaming data, but I couldn't actually load that website. Uh, does anyone have any insight why they went that way? Presumably that was part of uh, the Bitcoin Beach rollout. Um, is it because the the people selling didn't have phones to be able to generate lightning invoices lie or what's just wondered if there's a bit of a story behind that. Yeah. Um, I can take this one. Um, so yeah, I think the, the idea behind that, um, it came from when the wallet was first being built and Nicholas was, uh, in El Zonte, I guess, just observing, um, user behavior. Um, there was a need for sort of a static way to be able to receive a payment and it could be, yeah, it could be different reasons. It could be that, um, the merchants didn't have a phone on them, or maybe it's off to the side and their hands are like in some food or something preparing it or like a number of different reasons. Um, and this was before, I think this is before we had things like um, LNURL or, uh, well, Dolce is still in, in, in the works. So there was no native way to do a static QR code to receive a payment. So this was the, I guess, the, the easiest workaround to that. It's purely a UX thing where it's that um, there's a design problem where somebody can't, either doesn't have a phone or can't access the phone right away. So, yep, um, this, what happened here, I think, is that uh, the QR code is posted. It takes you to a website where the actual dynamic um, lightning invoice QR codes are generated. Um, and LNURL works in a similar way as well. It's just a little bit more abstracted where when you scan, scan an LNURL link, it actually goes, calls, a, calls an endpoint and does the same generation thing and returns that back to you. So it's, it's the same mechanism. It's just laid out a bit differently um but yeah it is a web it is a web call to a web page so if it is that you have spotty data or anything like that it could it could take a while to load and i think um in our bitcoin beach wallet we've kind of built it in um it's not a standardized thing so no other wallet supports it but at the time before any of these standards came about we just kind of built it in so that our wallet could pass that endpoint and just take you straight to that person's username and do an intro ledger payment um but yeah for um for people who have external like other wallets it would the, the process would be scan that QR code with your normal camera go to that web page get an address um and then pay that get a lightning invoice pay that invoice um we're in the process of changing that right now there's literally a, a pr right now in our repo to use um lightning address instead um so we'd be able to print a static lightning address qr code um post it up and, and using L exactly yeah L lightning address also L and url um and like that's a, a PR that's in process right now and being tested. And we're hoping to switch that out. So you go when you go to those pages at ln.bitcoinbeach.com page, there'll be like a slash print um, endpoint. Uh, at the end of the person's username, they can print that thing. It's a static lightning address thing. 
print it, um, post it up, and then after that, they can pay with any uh, wallet that supports Lightning address. So that's, it came from um, just a shortcoming and Lightning being early and there not being a way to do static QR codes and us kind of trying to work around that in the meantime. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And was it that my internet was using an eSIM and I didn't have, I couldn't just jump the best network available or is it there is actually patchy internet connectivity there that, that um, residents would also have a problem with internet? I've went heard, so when I was here, I mean, I'm here right now, I can try it again, but when I was here, um, it, it was, it, I think it was, it was okay. Like I, I didn't really hear too many problems of people trying to load the page. I mean, I could be right. It's just anecdotal in my experience. Um, so it may be, yeah, it may be like, I, I'm not sure if it's an eSIM thing or Apache internet thing. Um, I think internet is generally okay around here. Um, yeah, it, it's most likely some sort of a network issue. But um, it seems that people don't really have that issue around here when they're using like the Bitcoin Beach wallet and making payments to each other. They, they usually can resolve pretty quickly. Okay. Yep. Brilliant. Thanks very much for, for answering that. Sure. No problem. Awesome. Um, thank you for that. Uh, those questions. Um, we're coming up on the hour, so happy to, to, to take another you know couple comments or questions. Um, and and while you know if anybody's you know raising their hand and, and hopping up, I guess I would maybe turn it back to uh, to Stephen. You know to to think about or or maybe give your sort of wrap wrapping up thoughts of, you know, what are the, some of the, the top things that you you're thinking about or trying to, you know, maybe solve in your head as you think about your experience in, in El Salvador, what do you think are the most important things that people need to be focused on building? Well, you know, I, I was honestly really inspired by something I read in the, uh, the, the paper that, uh, that Gloy wrote, um, the like lessons learned from Bitcoin beach where, um, you know, one of the lessons like right through the paper was, um, you know, that not to spend time like trying to explain Bitcoin to people or trying to orange pill people, but to just like, you know, give them an app and, and show them how to use it. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, there, yeah, there's all kinds of details like, yeah, we need to make lightning the default for Chivo and we need to fix Android camera libraries and hide wallet balances. Yeah. So yeah, there's all kinds of details, but just the overarching thing is we just, you know, need to focus not so much on like, like we need to design user experiences that are, uh, you know, so easy to use that like we don't have to go and like, you know, teach people how to find like hidden settings and menus and things like that. And also just like make user experiences that are so useful that people want to use it because like ultimately this, this shouldn't be seen, you know, if, if, we're, if, we're, if, if we're true in our intentions here, then we don't want Bitcoin to be this like political thing so much as just a good idea. Like it shouldn't matter whose who, who's idea you know bitcoin is it should be that like oh wow this is a really good way to to pay to pay each other that benefits me in my you know daily lives and um so i think we just you know need to focus on building these experiences that you know actually benefit people in their lives and to where you really can't argue just because it's the best choice um but you know one thing i just i, I kind of that's been nagging at me is just the the issue of like smartphone usage and I mean, this is something I think Dolce kind of alluded to earlier, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little unsure about like what smartphone usage is like in the country. Because like when you're in, in, in San Salvador, you know, um, particularly in San Benito, many, many people have smartphones and, and in El Zante, you know, even too, there, there are many people have uh, smartphones, but I'm just not entirely sure. Like, I don't know if there's any like 
data out there about what ha- you know smartphone and data plan and stuff like that um, are like in the country. Like I think that places like El Zante and San Salvador have incentive to have you know good internet and, and all of that and like especially any place that tourists are going to go to. But I'm just like I don't know what internet access is like, and my concern is you know, someone who lives there can, can tell me better about this. I don't know, like, is it really good everywhere you go? Is it really bad? Can anyone get a smartphone? Is it an issue of like, you know, can everybody get them or are they too expensive or do you have to ride two hours on a bus to find a smartphone? Um, so I think just like more broader than just Bitcoin and UX, we just like also just need to think about like, you know, technology in general and like, you know, how many people have access to it. I believe that a lot of people here have like prepaid cards and then they have to like top up to like have some actual data. I think there's like a few services like WhatsApp, which are excluded from any uh, data counter. So you can always use WhatsApp, but uh, um, yeah, if you... Sorry, yeah, if you want to use anything else like Bitcoin or Lightning or any other app, then you, you would have to have like real data, a data plan or, or a top of your data. At least that's what, what I can tell from what I've observed with some of the Salvadorians here. Got it. Um, thanks for that. Thanks, Stephen, for sort of the, the wrap up. I think it's good to, to zoom out and ensure, right, like outside of, you know, the Bitcoin and, 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 and transacting, there there is infrastructure considerations, I think, both on the merchant side and the uh, the user side. So um, uh, I think we'll take the time. We're exactly at the hour. We'll take the time to wrap up here. Thank everybody that's on stage. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, documenting your experience and joining us today. Um, follow uh, all the folks up here. Um, stay tuned for next week. Um, we will be releasing sort of who will be uh, speaking in the next uh, in the next couple of days here. And so um, looking forward to, to the chat next week and uh, have a good one. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Talk to you later.